the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. Our phone number, 602-508-0960. Old screw tape in C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters tells his nephew, Warwood, do remember... You are there to fuddle them. Bill loves that. Fuddle. It's a good word, fuddle. We use befuddle all the time. We don't say fuddle as much. Let's say fuddle more. It means to confuse. Do remember that you are there to confuse them. We see this kind of confusion and distraction a lot. So much so that I've given it the name the Crisis Industrial Complex, based loosely on the notion Dwight Eisenhower gave in his farewell speech about the military-industrial complex. It was something he warned about that, if not checked, could one riot and take us off the important tasks of life, social, domestic, foreign policy. The left picked up on that and for years gave us bumper stickers about defunding the need to defund the military. Joe Biden in the Senate supported something called a nuclear freeze during the 1970s, which would have hamstrung the United States but allowed the Soviet Union to do whatever the Soviet Union wanted to do under the cover of darkness in which the Soviet Union operated in regard to every treaty we ever engaged in with them up until the INF, Intermediate Nuclear Forces Reduction Treaty, 1988, roughly, 89, 88. Um, Another aspect of the crisis industrial complex is something, I guess I was going to say far more, but I I I, I will correct myself and say just as inimical as the screw tape letters, or at least the effort behind them, the point behind them. And that's strict Marxism. Original formula, original flavor Marxism, which talks about the permanent revolution. You can have a crisis industrial complex or you can have a permanent revolution. Rules 8, 9, and 10 of that Marxist Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, a book he dedicated to Lucifer, spell that out. Rule 8 is to always keep the pressure on, never let up. Number 9 is the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. Remember that one. Let's come back to that. And 10, 
The major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain, maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition, keep them continually occupied. And so Tom Elliott, helpfully of Grabian, points out what we've been treated to in the news today. The new Texas abortion law, the new Texas pro-life law, if you will, is equivalent to a Texas Taliban. The flooding in New York is a, are the cataclysmic effects of climate change. The California wildfires, we're told, we're running out of time. COVID more contagious than ever. All of these are headlines with exclamation points. Texas Taliban, cataclysmic effects of climate change. We're running out of time, more contagious than ever. As Tom Elliott, who monitors the media for Grabian, says, every story is irresponsibly hyped out of proportion to terrify people into giving up liberty. Yes, every story but two, the most important the ones people scratch their heads and say, what the hell are we doing? One of them has to do with Afghanistan. Did you notice in those headlines with exclamation points, nothing was about Afghanistan? Texas Taliban, cataclysmic effects of climate change. We're running out of time with regard to the California wildfires and COVID is more contagious than ever. More contagious than ever. Is it more lethal? Is it more contagious? Contagious doesn't tell me very much. Not after so many people have had the virus asymptomatically. And not after so many people have had the virus and didn't even know it until they were forced to get tested for purposes of travel or medical or other procedures. The two things we should have exclamation points over, we don't. One of them is Afghanistan. One of them is what we're doing to the children. It's fascinating to me that children acquiring COVID now is the concern of the crisis industrial complex. We have been warning about dangers to children, not from COVID itself for some time, but the efforts to keep adults safe that were undertaken and punished children. We now have a new study out of JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, say, showing a 129% increase of suicide prevention interactions between 5- and 17-year-olds last year. Shouldn't that be an exclamation point? When did it become unpopular all of a sudden to talk of the dangers to our children? Suicide, depression, self-harm, substance abuse, bullying, all of which is exacerbated by the mediation strategies over COVID in which we were talking about. No journalist gave a damn about it and seemingly too few Democrats. I don't know why. I don't know why. They are the party that keeps telling us that they are the ones who care about the children. And so it is with that series of crises the high culture thinks we should be paying attention to in mind that I sit here slack-jawed. Looking in the Arizona Republic in vain, as I looked in the New York Times today, in vain for coverage of 
a conversation President Biden had in the midst in the middle of July with the then president of Afghanistan, President Ghani. I looked in vain for this. It was leaked by Reuters and published by Reuters yesterday. Morning. Plenty of time to make the papers. And it didn't. It was a leaked conversation in July between President Biden and President Ghani. And the first question that arises is who's leaking these intensely secure national security communiques and communications? Who's leaking them? You know the Democrats are asking that right now. I don't care. I stopped caring when Pulitzer Prizes were given in 2005 to the New York Times and Washington Post. I remember their names well. Donna Priest at the Washington Post, James Risen and Eric Lichtblau at the New York Times for leaking classified wartime intelligence. On the, and they put that on the front page of their papers for days on end. About two programs that were working really well, covertly and really well. One were the anonymous sites in which we kept commanders and terrorists we captured off the field in allied countries who were willing to help us out. They didn't all go to Guantanamo. Donna Priest blew that and exposed those countries, our allies. We had to bring more of them back and put them in Guantanamo as a result. And those countries lost confidence in our ability to keep a secret. As for the New York Times, they blew the story on tracking down the terrorist financing across the world, which was a great program, one the 9-11 Commission singled out as one of the most successful programs after it was broken by the New York Times, that covert program. I stopped caring about that when no one prosecuted those reporters then. They should have been prosecuted. They broke the law. But we have here something far more consequential than that and certainly far more consequential than a pre call between President Trump and Ukraine and aid to a country that was not going to fall, was not in threat of fall, under threat of falling, and did not need American treasure and blood. And the president of Afghanistan tells the president of the United States we are being overrun in that call. And the president of the United States tells the American people we are not, or our allied Afghanistan is not being overrun. How is that anything less consequential, much less impeachable, than a phone call to Ukraine. The President of the United States, Joe Biden, looked to the American people repeatedly over the course of several weeks and lied to our faces, and it doesn't make the front page of the New York Times. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you go to the New York Times today, you can get stories on um, Purdue Pharma. Uh, you can get stories on Ida's heavy rains. Uh, you can get a story in the front page 
of the New York Times today on Arizona and school mask mandates. Guess what? The New York Times doesn't like Governor Ducey. There, there's the story. You can get a story about how the fashion industry doesn't have enough minority women in it. And you can get stories on elections in Germany. Now, I remember when President Trump made one phone call to the president of Ukraine. I remember that, and it led to impeachment. Can you tell me what the impeachable offense in that phone call was? Joe Biden, since July, has told Americans up until last weekend, this past weekend, up until this past weekend, he has told Americans again and again and again, such things as we are relying on the Taliban. Here, for example, his speech on August 24th. Each day of operations brings added risk to our troops, but the completion by August 31st depends upon the Taliban continuing to cooperate, allowing access to the airport and those we've transferred out and no disruptions to our operations. In his first speech in July... The president spoke, not of trusting the Taliban. He said he didn't trust him, but he said they wouldn't take over. It was not inevitable, and he had confidence in the Afghan government and the Afghan military. He lied to the American people. How do I know he lied to the American people? Because in this leaked call between President Ghani and the president of the United States, Ghani says this, and I'm quoting directly, Quote, Mr. President, we are facing a full-scale invasion composed of Taliban, full Pakistani planning and logistical support, and at least 10 to 15,000 international terrorists thrown into this. Mr. President, we are facing a full-scale invasion, including the Taliban. Was that what President Biden told the American people, or did he say... The Taliban would not take over Kabul, and he had confidence in the Afghan military and the president. The president of Afghanistan told him confidence should be at best at discount. We are facing a full-scale invasion. The American president lied to the American people, and Americans are dead and left behind as a result. And the New York Times is covering minority hires in the fashion industry. I didn't expect to see Robin Wright write this. She works for The New Yorker. She's formerly of The Washington Post. A good liberal reporter. By good liberal reporter, I mean good in the eyes of liberals. She's part of the establishment's establishment. And she went in, in, into this on in, in, kind of inter, in, into an interesting place in The New Yorker. She quoted George W. Bush when we went into Afghanistan, saying the Taliban will now pay a price. We will not waver. We will not tire. We will not falter. And we will not fail. Except, she says, America did falter. And it did fail. The reality of America's exit, its mission, unaccomplished in multiple ways, would have been unimaginable when Bush spoke 20 years ago, Robin Wright 
writes, As the last C-17 departed on Monday night, Taliban fighters around Kabul shot bursts of celebratory gunfire into the air. The last U.S. soldier has left Kabul airport, Kwari Youssef, a Taliban spokesman, boasted in our country has now gained independence. Al-Qaeda was not only back. Its better-trained fighters were the force multipliers in the Taliban sweep across Afghanistan. Do you understand that position? Because of al-Qaeda, the Taliban was able to take control again. Somewhere around 200 Americans were left behind. Do you know the name Mark Frerichs? It's a name no one knows. It's a name everyone should know. And why don't we start creating bracelets for the Americans left behind? We did this with Vietnam POWs. Bill Bennett's wife, Elaine, you know who her bracelet was in the late 60s? John McCain. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Americans of a certain age will remember those bracelets of the names of POWs. Maybe we should have bracelets made of the Americans left behind. Among them was Mark Frerichs, a civil engineer who had worked in Afghanistan for a decade before he was taken hostage by a Taliban faction last year. When we have American workers in Afghanistan, do you know what they're doing there? They're not there helping al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Not anymore anyway. People like Mark Frerichs were there to help the Afghan people in the U.S. military. For all the bartering between the Taliban and America over the last two weeks, guess what? U.S. officials couldn't persuade the Taliban to let Mark Frerichs go. Also stranded were tens of thousands of Afghans who risked their lives working alongside U.S. diplomats. We expect them to be dead. By the end of the year, all of them, they'd been promised help getting out. General Kenneth Frank McKenzie conceded candidly, there's been a lot of heartbreak. We did not get everybody out that we wanted to get out, he said. Hours later, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Anthony Blinken announced that a new chapter of America's engagement with Afghanistan has begun. It's one in which we will lead with our diplomacy, quote, close quote. Another delusion and a long sequence of self, self-deceptions about U.S. policy in Afghanistan. That's Robert. That's the New Yorker. Maybe the folks at the New York Times should go across the street and read what their fellow journalists at the New Yorker are writing. This notion that we ended a forever war, Dennis Prager is absolutely right. Did we? Did we? Or are we going to see a new phase of it? Did the war end or did America's role in Afghanistan end? There's a big difference. That's not what Dennis Prager spoke about. That's what I've been speaking about. I was about to say he was right. I did say he was right. What I was about to say was he was right about this notion of 20 years, having been there 20 years, to which a good response is so. Is there some rule about how many years U.S. forces can be deployed somewhere to maintain peace and signal to our enemies? I don't know. Perhaps perhaps we can ask the Americans based in Germany, Japan, and South Korea. 
The notion that we ended the war is false. We surrendered. And as Lincoln prophetically said once before, and I fear he will be right now, the war will come again. I'm Seth Liebson. A lot more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. It's the company I use. It's a fantastic company. I love these guys. My friends and family use them, too. They're there for you 24-7. And that doesn't just mean making appointments in the off hours. That means showing up in the off hours and in the off days. I called them on a Saturday night once. They were there fixing my unit Sunday morning, and they fixed it. Fantastic company. Cool touch for all your air conditioning and plumbing needs. As I say, the company I and my family use, it's the kind of company you'd want to create if you were in the business of creating small businesses because they do it so well. CoolTouchAC.com. That's CoolTouchAC.com or give them a ring at 623-734-1932 for all your air conditioning and plumbing needs. Repairs, installations, news, inspections, you name it. It's hard to cover up what took place in front of our very eyes, and I was discussing with someone in Washington whether this was worse than Saigon or not, and I said you could make the argument right now without even having the full breadth of time that what happened in Afghanistan, that's too passive, what Joe Biden did in Afghanistan is worse than what transpired under Jerry Ford in Saigon. First of all, first of all, just the day itself of the evacuations in April 1975, we lost two servicemen, tragically. And I don't like these games, but by raw count, by raw count, we lost 11 more in leaving Kabul. Just on the day itself. Just on the day itself. Going forward, you think about the irony of history. For the only thing that changed what was known as the Vietnam Syndrome, that America couldn't win a war, was ironically enough something called the First Gulf War. That's what changed the perception of a Vietnam Syndrome in America, that we could win wars. The first time we went into the Gulf, we erased the Vietnam Syndrome, which was very long-lasting and led to several countries falling to the Soviet bloc because of allies uninterested in trusting us and enemies knowing we didn't have the stick to to defend them. I don't know that we'll see countries falling to the Taliban. The Taliban itself is a regional regionally interested body. But that is not true of the other terrorist entities in Afghanistan. And remember, in that phone call, the New York Times chose and the Arizona Republic chose and the Washington Post chose not to write about, in that phone call between Joe Biden and President Ghani of Afghanistan, President Ghani said, we are facing 
a full-scale invasion composed of Taliban, full Pakistani planning and logistical support, and at least 10 to 15,000 international terrorists, international terrorists, whose designs are on things much further away than Afghanistan, things here, things in Germany, things in France, things in Spain, things in England, things in Israel, things in Africa. They are interested in that, and they have a lot of weapons now to use, be stolen, or sell that were made in America and delivered to Afghanistan. They have it all. Martha Raddatz is an interesting foreign correspondent for ABC. She is part of a class of foreign correspondents somewhere north of the age of 50, who have a lot of experience and a lot of, shall we say, sources on the grounds they cover. And they tend to take these kinds of things personally, despite their politics. I have no doubt she wrote, excuse me, I have no doubt she voted for Joe Biden, none, watching her over the years. But there are still certain things up with which these veteran liberals cannot put, and I'll show you what some of those things are. When we come back, and I'll tell you what I think the Democratic Party and the New York Times' and Washington Post's strategy going forward will be. I have a pretty good idea of it. We'll see if I'm right. Stay tuned. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. I was mentioning Martha Raddatz of ABC News previously. She is um, a, a classic example of a 50-plus uh, experienced reporter from an earlier age who has a lot of contacts on the various foreign grounds she covers. She's the global correspondent, chief global correspondent, the senior World Affairs Correspondent for ABC. ABC, right? She used to be with CBS. I think I have it right. ABC now. She used to be with CBS. It, it, it matters not. Uh, this, is, this, is a, um, this is a spokesman for the liberal journalistic foreign policy, um, foreign policy media cartel. And this is what she had to say uh, two days ago. Just on July 8th, the president was saying there's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy of the United States from Afghanistan. Uh, they were clinging to airplanes in those early days. Uh, he was touting the Afghan forces, saying, I trust the capacity of the Afghan military. The president said they were ready, they were prepared for this, but no one was prepared for 11 days for the Taliban to take over. Uh, the president also promising on July 8th that we can guarantee the safety of the interpreters. There are thousands of interpreters in Afghanistan right now who are desperate and frightened. Uh, and just about a month ago, he told our George Stephanopoulos that he would get all Americans out. They've gotten 90 percent of those out. And that 10 percent right now is scared and still does not know exactly how they're going to get out. David. And, and that, w that would include someone who helped save Joe Biden's very life back in 2008 when his helicopter went down. It included John Kerry. It included... 
a letter, Department of Defense Secretary. Hagel, Chuck Hagel. You would think, you would think Joe Biden would be at least as cognizant and aware as to take those stories off the table by making sure those kinds of people were the first to be rescued or were among the first to be rescued and given safe haven. Their cries will be in vain. And what scares me are the screams that will come, the screams that will follow. People have forgotten the barbarism that takes place under the hands of the Taliban and al-Qaeda and ISIS. People have forgotten that barbarism, one, because of 20 years, two, because the left controls the media in this country and the imagery we get in this country, and the left believes evil is in America. They believe evil are Trump supporters or Republicans. This is why the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, not busy enough and having his hands full enough with Afghanistan, would spend hours testifying to Congress on the importance of understanding white rage in America and reading tracts by Lenin and Marx to get a better appreciation of America. You don't read Lenin and Marx to understand America any more than you read Ted Bundy to understand dining etiquette. But that's what our that's what our commander in chief and his head of the United States Armed Forces were all about. We're all about. They think evil are fellow Americans. They have used the terminology surrounding evil, terminology like fascist, terminology like tyrant, terminology like war against the media, terminology like enemy of the state, which Nancy Pelosi called President Trump. Those are the terms that you would normally reserve for terrorists and barbarians. But because of some kind of syntactical overuse, because of some kind of perversion of language where words have lost all meaning, we no longer recognize what real evil is. We had this problem going into 9-11. We really did. And people forget about what the pseudo-sophisticates amongst us in our colleges and universities were teaching. They were teaching that on the world stage, America is the bad actor. America is the problem. You now have an entire political party whose energy runs with that belief. And that's why. That's why so many, I believe, good people, I believe, in that party no longer understood and were able to negotiate with and give power to and lie to the American people about giving power to one of the most barbaric entities in the world because we lost our moral dictionary. 
It's because we lost grip of what's real and what's durable and what's truly good and what's truly evil. When America up until September 11th of 2001 focused on evil and looked to the streets of this country, we got a wake-up call. Oh, on 9-11, that's what evil is, turning humans into missiles to kill other humans. No, that's truly evil. And 20 years has passed. And that conversation about what truly evil was ended because the Democrats took all that language and used it against Republicans, all the while complaining about the divisiveness in Washington, D.C. So there's talk now today and polling today about whether Joe Biden should resign or be impeached. I'm not for it. I'd be curious to know if you are. I'm not for it. For a very simple reason. I don't want Kamala Harris as our president. Whatever this empty-headed vessel is capable or incapable of doing, I'd rather that than an unhinged person in full grasp of her faculties, hell-bent on progressivism, who was the most liberal member of the Senate that even comprised a Bernie Sanders socialist as our commander-in-chief and president of the United States. I'll take this over that. It is an odd situation and will, and where, wherein I will take the incompetent Democrat over the competent one. Because the competent one is even more dangerous and more inexperienced. And our cup at this point, as far as I can tell, is pretty much overflowing with that. Just thinking over the break, that, that one really sticks in my craw, Nancy Pelosi calling our president an enemy of the state. I don't know how you recover some form of unity when you are willing to call your opponents white supremacists, racists, and enemies of the state. Opponents who use that term, though they watched all last summer as cities burned and cops were murdered and refused to disavow the rioters for fear of offending their allies. Same group who would allow hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens to stream across the border, including gang members, career criminals, and potential terrorists. Same group that refuses to do anything to counter communist China, our greatest external security threat. Same group whose president turned Afghanistan over to the Taliban. The same group trying to undermine representative government with same-day voting, unrequested mail-in voting, and ballot harvesting. Best way to maintain the integrity of elections to this group? Call voter ID. It's the same group same group that allows a president who may be corrupt but whose son is definitively corrupt to peddle influence to foreign powers and domestic political supporters 
It's the same group that wittingly unites with big tech to censor free speech. Same group that does its best to spread hate about America, institutionally racist. Same group that tries to pit the races against each other, whether using critical race theory or denouncing the candidate, Republican candidate for governor in California as the black face of white supremacy, an actual headline. Same group that's trying to destroy our domestic energy production. This is a list I credit Don Fetter with, by the way. And yet we are the enemies of the state. We're the dangerous ones. Don't take it. Don't take it. I implore you. Nothing has made so much sense to me in the last two weeks as that which Dennis Prager said two days ago. America will not be repaired until conservatives are as willing to come out of the closet as everyone else. That's when things will change. By coming out of the closet, it doesn't mean speaking out on every issue and it doesn't mean making of yourself a megaphone shouter from the rooftops. It means when you hear something from a colleague or a friend that you know is simply rot or junk thought, saying so, and explaining rational why you don't hold that belief. You never know what mind you might change, but at a minimum, you'll let this person know that they're not speaking universally, and that's important. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.